0: Good afternoon everyone you're listening to radio maria and welcome to catechesis this afternoon we have the long-awaited return of father gabriel kite an old speaker on radio maria and he's back today to talk about saint francis of assisi and as i just mentioned he's dialing in all the way from limerick in ireland so thank you so much father gabriel
1: great to be here thanks so much elizabeth
0: and what are you going to be talking about today
1: yeah, so I'm super excited to be able to share this about St. Francis. This month we had his feast day on the fourth of October, and we had a great celebration here with the brothers over in Ireland. And uh, so glad to be able to just share a bit more. But I'd like to just tell the story of his life. Um, but we're gonna do it in a in a hopefully in an interesting way. Uh, we're gonna go on a little virtual tour of Assisi, and we can stop along the way and uh, see what we might be able to see and learn from St. Francis's hometown about his life and spirituality. And uh, I, I'm i convinced, you know, it's not just going to be a historical tour, but there's so much of St. Francis's life and spirituality that still feeds the church today and can encourage the church today. Certainly in the path of renewal that Pope Francis is championing, uh, along with the Second Vatican Council, where the church is always in need of renewal. And St. Francis was a great source for that. So, yeah, looking forward to just going uh, exploring his life again. And hopefully together we can discover insights and inspiration for our own renewal in Christ as we go.
0: Fantastic. And uh, Father Gabriel will be back with us. Next Friday and he's actually off to Assisi tomorrow so how incredible yeah. we'll have the spirit of Saint Francis with us even more strongly next next Friday but we're going yeah. s- just going to start with a little bit of music <laughs>
1: So welcome everybody. Uh, Our first stop in the tour of Assisi is down below the city in the valley below where during St. Francis's time was a leper colony. Now it might seem like an unlikely place to begin our inspirational tour of St. Francis's life, but really the leper colony for Francis was the beginning of his conversion, the place where his conversion really took root Francis was born in 1182 to Pietro and Pica di Bernadone and their family were wealthy merchants. They weren't nobility, but they were cloth merchants and his father would travel back and forth from France and trading cloth and was a great, um, he profited a lot from the the merchant economy that was beginning at that time in, in medieval Europe. And St. Francis was in the middle of that had, I'm sure you've heard the reputation of St. Francis had a lot of friends would party in the streets of the CC and often pay for the, um, the food and the drink that went along with that. But Francis looks back on that experience as a young man um, with a little bit of remorse and maybe not just a little bit of remorse, but one thing comes out that, it was clear in his growing up was that he was absolutely completely spoiled, rotten. He says of himself that he was self-absorbed, completely focused on himself. And when he looks back at his experience of being, uh, of going to the leper colony, he says before that he couldn't even stand to look at lepers. He in fact says that uh, he could barely even look at anyone, and he lamented the fact that he himself was so absorbed that he couldn't really see see others and He said, "You know people love me, and they knew me, but they they never really knew the real me because he just they just knew the character that he brought forward in his um, spoiled lifestyle that he was living at the time. But something happened then when he was going into the leper colony. He said somebody, you know, he said that the experience that he had was the Lord was drawing him to something different. He was drawing him to uh, visit what was for him a very bitter place and something that would have turned him off uh, quite dramatic. He couldn't even look. He would just get sick to himself at the thought of it. Um, but there he was going down, being drawn by God to go to the, um, to the leper colony. And after this experience, St. Francis says, um, what was bitter had become sweet. And, uh, he, you know, in the leper colony, he could start to recognize, he could start to see that it was Christ in the leper, that, that it wasn't all about him, that he needed to move out of himself, to encounter the other, and the other supremely was Christ. Christ in the poor, Christ in the hidden places. See, Francis had dreams at that time. He wasn't a, no- a nobleman, so um, he couldn't just all of a sudden join himself to a an army um, and fa- fight in a battle. Because he had a dream of dreams of becoming a knight, dreams of going to war, winning great battles. He had dreams of even going to fight in the in the Crusades. But he wasn't uh he wasn't going to be able to do that without earning a lot of money and paying for that and whatever. but all of these dreams took on a whole new hue for him amongst the lepers. It was like uh I wanted to go and fight the infidels, but he says, you know the infidel was me, I was the infidel I was the the one who was contesting against uh Christianity against God, and Francis had to acclimatize himself. To this new reality that he wasn't going to be at the center but Christ was at the center and what uh, you know it, what he was trying to avoid actually became the place where he encountered Christ in a deeper way and actually some a, a place where uh, Francis experienced unexpected joy a sweetness and Uh, So he came back, you know, this is this is what set in motion the rest of St. Francis's life. And we'll see this coming up as we continue our tour around Assisi and the various spots where he lived. But Francis recognized that Jesus's footsteps, the path of God led in very unexpected places, led through very unexpected places, places that were simple, places that were poor places that were more on the edge of what the world would say uh, is the place where things happen. So the leper colony was his first experience of that. And coming back to Assisi, his own words say that, you know, I tarried a while and then I left it all. He ruminated on his experience down in the leper colony, his experience of leaving himself behind and in that encountering Christ in unexpected places and realized that this is what he was looking for. This is what would fulfill his dreams. Um, He didn't set aside his noble heart to become a knight and something significant and great, but he knew it wasn't going to be in the way the world would achieve it, but by following in the footsteps of Jesus. So he left everything uh, to follow Jesus and wherever those footsteps led He was willing to go. So uh, what does this say about our uh, journey with Christ, you know? And, you know, St. Francis, just to take another little pause to reflect a little bit on what we're experiencing here. um, St. Francis gets, you know, uh, adopted by all kinds of causes. And sometimes his life story gets put into a political vein where, you know, see, he was just challenging the, merchant culture that was emerging and trying to, you know, criticize capitalism and all that. Well, not exactly. You know, he never mentions that at all, anywhere in his own writings, anywhere in his own reflections on a spiritual experience. It was something that transcended that. And then some say, well, he was actually, you know, trying to, um, he began this, uh, you know, trying to transcend sociological classes, you know, like, okay, he was in the merchant class, now he's going to join the poor class. And, you know, the poor class is more noble than the merchant class and all of this. It's like, well, not, not exactly. And that would reduce the Christian message to a worldly way of thinking. For Francis, his experience of Jesus amongst the poor and the outcasts of present, uh, you know, that time in Assisi, was an encounter. Uh, was a, was leaving himself, as I mentioned, you know, instead of making himself the center of gravity, he realized that God needed to be the center of gravity, and that occurred for him in this encounter with the other, uh, in the amongst the lepers. This encounter with Christ Himself. So, what's left after Francis leaves it all is a heart. For humility, Francis knew that if he was going to encounter God, he needed to look for him in humility and simplicity. and Follow Jesus's footsteps quite radically. Okay, where are we going to next? Well, um, I'd like to get back up into the city. We're going to move out of the valley and we're going to go to St. Francis's family home. Francis, as I mentioned, grew up in this city of Assisi, and you can go to his home there still today, and you can see the underneath the residence where the family would have lived, all of his father's warehouses and storerooms where he kept the cloth that he was selling and sold it. There's also a, a down, a detached from the home, there was another warehouse where the birthplace of Francis is honored. Tradition has it that he was, his mother gave birth to him in that uh, small shop area. It's a little chapel now. And above, you can see the, the door raised up above the warehouses where the family home was. And attached to this now is a 19th century church, and it's called there in a CC Chiesa Nova, the, the new church. Um, so now why we're here is because... It wasn't all smooth sailing after Francis encountered Christ and left it all and started to live a life of prayer and penance. He would go around rebuilding churches that were broken down in the neighboring valley there, and he'd go around begging at houses, etc. You think, okay, there begins his idyllic journey uh, following Jesus in simplicity and poverty, but it wasn't the case. Francis quickly ran into trouble with his earthly father. You can imagine his father thinking, you know, his son's going to take over the business. His son's his partner in all of this. But Francis was um, actually ended up on one occasion selling the cloth that he had taken to trade and gave it to the poor. He gave the armor that his father had gotten for him uh, to become a knight and gave that away as well. So, and Francis was actually a bit of the the town fool at this stage. You know, people would be mocking him for his behavior and his disheveled appearance. And his father was saw him as a disgrace. And in the midst of all of this, his father got so angry that he hauled him back to his home and locked him up in a prison in this little dungeon in his own house and urged him to change his ways, let go of the, you know, lunatic lifestyle he was living in his mind and come back to his senses. So he left him there to stew and reflect um, uh, and went off to France to do some business. But his mother, Pika, had mercy on him and compassion as a mother would, and let him out of jail. So you can imagine what his father was the state he was in when he came back to town, and Francis was again roaming around assisi playing the fool um perhaps the pious fool, but the fool nevertheless in his mind uh, so it was kind of like the last straw for his father pietro, and he at the time the bishops had municipal authority there to judge over inheritances etc and and judge over civil cases, so um, he hauled again, dragged Francis before the bishop of Assisi, and the father was intent on, in fact, either urging Francis to change heart, change his heart, or uh, he wanted it to be clear that Francis was no longer an heir to his patrimony. But before this could be, so basically he was disinheriting Francis, like disowning him uh, before the bishop, and he wanted that to be clear. But before the judgment could be rendered, Francis already, we have this great dramatic moment that people talk about and remember, you know, Francis strips off all of his father's possessions, his clothes that he was wearing, etc., and handed them back to his father and said, you know, there's no need for conflict here. There's no need to argue about this. I myself renounce my own inheritance from my earthly father. And he says, you know, Father Saint Bonaventure puts these words in his mouth. I no longer call Pietro di Bernadone my father, but our father who art in heaven. And so Francis now becomes a son of the church. He's taken under the bishop's wing and is no longer bound by the obligations of family and and, and um, business, and now taken under the responsibility of the church. The bishop literally threw his cloak over Francis. Some authors think, oh, well, that was just to protect his modesty or something, standing there in a hair shirt, you know. Um, but it wasn't that symbol. The symbolism was the church was now taking responsibility for Francis's spiritual journey. and. Um, So there begins the movement really of Franciscanism as Francis leaves behind all of the, you know, like Jesus says in the gospel, whoever, if you don't hate your mother, father, brother, sister, uh, you cannot follow me. You have no inheritance with me. So Jesus is putting in stark contrast the, you know, that God makes demands on us that even transcend family obligations. And if family obligations are at opposition to what God expects of us or what God is calling us to, then we need to place God uh, at the center and, you know, to choose him to honor his will in our lives. So it's a radical move that Francis begins and the fruits of it are still, uh, we're still enjoying them today and they can inspire all of us in the church to let uh, nothing but God be at the center of our life and the center of the church. When we come back, we'll uh, have a look and see where the footsteps of Jesus lead Francis um, after now that he's left it all and followed Jesus, his footsteps that lead not to his earthly father's house, but to his heavenly father's house in heaven. We'll be back in a minute.
0: Thank you so much, Father Gabriel. We're going to listen to Brother Sun, Sister Moon, based on St. Francis' own canticle.
2: Brother Sun, Sister Moon I seldom see seldom hear your tune, preoccupied with selfish misery, Brought Oh Yeah.
0: joined here on Radio Maria by Father Gabriel Kite, and he is giving us a fantastic virtual tour of Assisi. Back over to you, Father Gabriel.
1: All right, where are we going next? So here we are standing outside of St. Francis's home. And we're going to walk down the street to go see Bernard of uh place, which was a friend of St. Francis. So we're off down there. And we see his home here. It's very simple, little door on the front of the house and a very small plaque really that just indicates that this is Bernard of Quintavalli's home. So why are we here? Well, as I mentioned, when Francis got adopted by the church, left his father, left it all, and became a son of the church in a deeper, more radical way, following in jesus's footsteps um, he seemingly left without any earthly attachments and um, people with him, but that didn't last long. People weren't all against Francis in assisi. There were many men who were being inspired by his life, and many women as well i won't have time today to talk about St. Clair and the poor Clares that began around St. Francis, maybe in my next, the next week's program, we can explore that a bit more. But so Bernard of Quintavale was his first follower. Um, and for Francis, this was an incredible, unexpected surprise, a real gift for him. Um, within a short period of time, there was 12 or so friars that uh, brothers, men that joined him and, um, and living this very simple, radical gospel lifestyle, and just to say too, like what Francis was doing was completely new. You know, we know of monks, Saint Benedict. You know, they have big monasteries and land and and endowments, and they would have lived a very you know spiritual, prayerful life, but also worked the land, had a way to support their uh, the livelihood of. The monks there would have supported their life, the food etc, uh, finances, and so it was a very stable existence more or less. but Francis was proposing to live the gospel um, way of life that the apostles lived with Jesus, where they just lived an itinerant life, which meant that they went around begging for their what they needed, would maybe work a little bit and work with their hands and be able to pull together the various necessities for their life. But it was in the eyes of the church at that time, and many a very insecure lifestyle. So they were like surprised and and a bit skeptical about whether this was possible, which is a whole other story that gets played out in Franciscan history, how this new kind of religious life gets the approval of the church. But it wasn't, as I mentioned it wasn't all skepticism and doubt. It was plenty of inspiration and excitement around this new kind of life that Francis was living, and they were really inspired by him in himself. You know that, wow, I see uh, something lived that I want to live. What you have, Francis, I want too. So this, the Francis, at the end of his life, wrote a letter to the community called the Testament, and it was just recounting the key spiritual graces that he received throughout his life and a kind of a last encouragement to the brothers to be faithful to what they also had received. You know, this was mine, brothers. This is what I've received. And this is how I lived it. You, too, must live what you've received. And one of the things he mentions in that testament was the gift of the brotherhood, um, You know, for Francis, he never planned that a a community would emerge or anything. He was just being faithful to what God was doing in him and trying to respond generously to it. And God was doing all of these amazing things in the midst of it. So when we're trying to follow God, you know, sometimes we think it's going to go this way or going to go that way. But it's really important, as Pope Francis mentioned so many times, be open to the possibility of God's surprises. You know, things, blessings can come, twists and turns can come that can really open us up to something new, something more. And it's really Francis lived this, you know, he, he could have tried to secure his own life. But the gospel says those who secure their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So Francis really let go of all of his earthly securities by the grace of God You know, he let go of his own self, which he clung so fiercely to, to be able to be happy in his life, but discovered that he was something was missing and God was calling him to something different, giving him a taste for something beyond himself. So he let go of himself. He let go of his family obligations and ties that were holding him back, even, you know, Um, human respect in a sense, you know, being willing to appear like a fool just to follow the gospel. Um, He was willing to let go of that. And God gave him so much in return. And one of the greatest gifts that he talks about was the gift of the brothers, that he would not be following God in this way alone. A wonderful witness for us. You know, we see many of the clergy sometimes isolated, for example, you know, can we be um, brothers and find that sense of community again to be able to follow Christ with more courage? Francis has got a bunch of brothers uh, and nowhere to live. So they're in this precarious situation. And Francis, so we're going to leave Francis's friend's house, Bernard of Valley, and we're going to leave the city walls again. And we're going down into the valley to this um place where there's a twisty little river called rivo torto the twisty river and this is the site of the first dwelling of the friars and it's commemorated inside a church there by a recreation of the cattle shed where they lived you know and the story goes that the brothers were all crammed in this cattle shed taking shelter by this little river and they're getting you know restless and annoyed at each other because there's no space so he says okay everybody write your name on the beam above your head that's your spot and nobody else's so at least you got that place there and uh so they struggled away there living there and then the next thing you know a farmer comes by and backs a donkey into the into the shed and instead of arguing with the farmer you know this is our home here He says to the brothers, you know, and this is a sign from God, it's time for us to move on. Um, No need to get attached to a cattle shed. So from there, Francis um, went across the valley there a little ways. And through the generosity of the Benedictines who were quite um, present in that area, there was a monastery on Mount Subasio and another one in the valley as well, a smaller one. Um, And they would have had these little chapels spread out along the valley there to help with serving the people. And the Benedictines gave St. Francis this very simple church called um, the Porzionkola, the little portion. um, And it's dedicated to Our Lady of the Angels. And so that became really the first spiritual home uh, of the friars. And Francis said that Our Lady had a special love for this church because it was so poor and so simple. And he says to the brothers quite openly that the angels would very often frequent that church. Um, And so he said, if they push you out the back, come in to the front and vice versa. You know, he really said um, he urged the friars never to let go of that church because it was... um, in a sense, iconic of what St. Francis wanted his brotherhood to be, you know, a place, a community sheltered by the wings of poverty and simplicity to speak poetically and metaphorically. And also under the motherhood of the church, which is, you know, which is our lady. And she, you know, see, this is an inter- interject here. Again, Francis gets labeled as a revolutionary sometimes that he was, you know, coming to criticize the politically established church of the time. And that's not true either. Francis was a true son of the church. And he willingly, he said, you know, he would kiss the hands of priests, even though they may be sinners, because he said through the hands of a priest. I receive the body and blood of Christ, and no other hands can bring them to me. So no matter what, I reverence them and I respect them. Uh, And Francis urged his friars to be obedient to the church, the authority of the church, not to criticize it, not to um, become revolutionary in their approach to the gospel. Um, You know, that wasn't St. Francis's way so the Porziuncola, the little portion, this little church in Assisi down in the valley there, um, became the spiritual home of the friars. And it's still a very beautiful chapel. You can go there. It was rebuilt by St. Francis, but it's now housed in a larger basilica that was rebuilt over the years. There's lots of earthquakes in the valley there. So this one was built. Um, it's kind of like a, to protect the little the little church of St of, um, excuse me, of um, the, the Ports uh and as you walk in there it's kind of a remarkable sight. You just come in and it's like a little church within a bigger church, very small chapel and you go in and every time I go there the peace in that little chapel is so palpable. Um, the presence of God is there so that I, it always reminds me of Saint Francis's testimony that you know Our Lady prefers that little chapel and the angels often visit there. So I really encourage you, uh, if you ever get a chance, to not forget to go down to the Porziuncola, if you get a chance to go to Assisi. Now, a little fast forwarding here. Um, the Porziuncola became um, a very, again, a significant symbolic church for the, for the Franciscan order. Over the centuries and very early on in the history of the Franciscan movement, the bishops and popes got behind this movement and it was controversial at times and the you know they had the things had to be worked out but a way of showing the church's approval for this radical new movement they gave pilgrims who visited the portiuncula church an indulgence that was similar to those given to those who would go on crusade so this was not a small beans kind of thing like they're endorsing that with the full authority of the church, like this place, the church needs to visit. People need to visit here because what Francis is offering to the church is essential and very important for her ongoing vitality and life and conversion. So uh, the church discerned this in the life of Francis, that his charism was for for all of us um, in the church to, to take part in for our own renewal. Now, I'm saying this, and history proves it, but um, I speak it with passion. I don't know if uh, a Dominican or a Jesuit might say the same thing, but (laughs) it's certainly attested by the bishops and the popes in the history of the church. So thanks be to God for that, St. Francis. Just quickly, um, also to note, you know, Francis had a special love for Our Lady. Now, it's, it's unique, though, and just to mention that. Francis, as I mentioned previously, loved to, you know, had this great saying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I love that image, you know, like there's his steps. I'm going to put my feet in his and just go where he's going. And like I said previously, he would go, he found that the footsteps of Jesus led to these little poor places. And one of the poor places was um, his mother, Jesus' mother. You know, and so Francis was really inspired by the poverty of Mary and wanted to imitate her and um, the Holy Family's poverty was a great inspiration for him. And also at this point, too, just to mention Francis's love for churches in general, because it was in the church where he found the Eucharist. This often gets overlooked when people hear about St. Francis, his love for the Eucharist was like over the top. He was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, we say in America, you know, the Syria. The, the, he was intoxicated by the mystery of the Eucharist. He just couldn't put it into words enough what the, the significance of that, you know. Let all of heaven, all of earth tremble. Let all of heaven be silent as the, as the Lord of glory comes down into the hands of a priest. What sublimity, he said. What humility. And he would encourage his brothers, whenever they saw a church, even in the distance, to kneel down and adore Jesus in the blessed sacrament. We adore you, most holy Lord Jesus Christ, here and in all your churches throughout the world, because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. So this special church was one of uh, Francis's treasures because the Eucharist was kept there. And every church was that for him in that respect. So... Um Francis wrote letters to bishops and the church faithful around the world, encouraging them to love um, the Eucharist and to follow the teaching of the, the councils that were being held at the time, calling for renewal in the liturgy, calling for greater respect of the altars of the church. And so Francis was a son of the church who was championing her greatest treasures, the Lord Jesus himself, especially in the Holy Eucharist. So we'll uh, pause on our journey here for a wee sec and um we'll have a bit more music but our journey's not over yet but I certainly want to hear from any of our listeners if they have any questions about um, their little pilgrimage so thus far. So looking forward to hearing from you in just a few minutes.
0: Thank you, Father Gabriel. If you do have a question, please do call in 01223375564. 01223375564. Have you been to Assisi? Have you got anything to share? Please don't hesitate to give us a ring.
2: Sister, let me serve you Let me be as Christ to you Pray that I may have the grace to Let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims of we come. we
0: listening to Catechesis. We're here with Father Gabriel. Father Gabriel, I think we haven't finished our tour. <laughs> yeah, to we've come. got one more stop. We've Back over to you.
1: We've one more stop on our tour. Yeah. So we're off here. We're, um, we're going to leave Assisi here now, and we're going to go across the mountains into Tuscany to a special place that marked another turning point in St. Francis's life, one that he kept secret as best as he could, but one that changed him. Yet again, two years before his life is two, two years before his death, he went on a pilgrimage or really a retreat to a hermitage mountain that was given to him by a count um, uh, called Laverna. And Francis at that time was in a funk. OK, the community had been going a bit pear shaped at that stage. They were losing their initial simplicity, trying to secure privileges from the church, like approbation from the church and, you know, letters and all this stuff and trying to secure their own existence, which for Francis was completely against what he was proposing to them. So Francis was depressed and disappointed. And so when people would think of Laverna, you know what happened on Laverna. Laverna was the place that he had a spiritual encounter with with an angel, with the seraphim, and was given the stigmata. And people think that, okay, there's the seal of his holiness. He was like, obviously, at the peak of his holiness at that time. But it was actually a regression. Where he was at that time was where he was before his conversion. Francis had become, again, focused on himself. He became preoccupied with his own plans for his order, his own disappointments at the lack of fidelity of the brothers. And he had lost his joy, and he was actually, uh, like I mentioned, depressed. And so there he was climbing his way up this mountain, and he was rescued by the beauty of this angel. This fiery seraphim appeared to him with Jesus crucified within the wings of the seraphim, and he was enraptured by the beauty of this angel and his fiery love. And he realized that he, in that moment, that he had become intoxicated again with his own sadness, his own self, all of his own preoccupations, and had let God, uh, in fact, if you can believe this, you know, the love of God had waned in his heart because, again, he himself was, was front and center. But the angel, so this appearance was a saving grace for Francis. And Francis from that moment then, having now received the stigmata of Francis, of Jesus in his own body, nail marks in his hands and his feet and the spear in his side, um, returned everything to God. He said, the brothers are not mine. They belong to God. The future of this order is not in my hands. I give them to God. My focus is Jesus and Jesus alone. So he went down from the mountain trying to conceal the marks of the stigmata and only a, his spiritual companion, brother Leo knew of it. Um, and he went down from the mountain and took up what he be, had begun in the beginning of his conversion to go around the various towns in, a, in a Italy, in Tuscany in and in Umbria, preaching the gospel as best as he could. He was quite ill at that time His physical illness was increasing. He was actually had a he had an eye disease at the end of his life. He had been blind for over um, a year and a half. He tried everything. They cauterized his eyes. It was quite painful. And um, this was the state he was in at the end of his life. And really the legacy. So Francis died when he on his way back to Assisi, he went back to Assisi to bless Assisi. He visited his sisters, the poor Clares in San Damiano, and returned to the Portiuncola, And just behind the church there, within the big basilica, is the small shelter where Francis' Francis's spot of death is commemorated. And in that place, um, Francis handed over his life again to God, and his brothers um, praised God for the legacy that he left. So this is the life of St. Francis. I hope to pick up in our next program next week more of what it looks like now. What does a modern Franciscan life look like today? And how can we find in Francis's life and legacy inspiration for the renewal of the church today? So join us next week. We're going to talk about Francis's love for Jesus a bit more, the humanity of Jesus. Francis left to us the crib the stations of the cross, Eucharistic adoration, and a real invitation to let ourselves be renewed in the love of God. So look forward to uh, sharing more about that next week.
0: Father Gabriel, thank you so much. Um, you're off to Assisi tomorrow, so please do keep us in your prayers. And, um, but could you also please say a prayer for everyone now and perhaps finish with a blessing?
1: I'd love to, yes. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of uh, your servant and your son, St. Francis. Thank you for the ways he's revealed the beauty and the power of your son, Jesus, to give renewal and hope and life to each of us personally and to the church as a whole. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be faithful to what we've been given in our baptism and to follow as well in the footsteps of your son. Amen. And I'll give you the blessing of St. Francis. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you his peace. And may almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. And we look forward to the same time next week.